0: Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized, I am going to be a dentist. (laughs) Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales, as we go behind the smiles. This is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation. With your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. Today's podcast is brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Learn more at yappyapp.com. Welcome back. You're listening to part two of the Colby concept and achieving success in your dental practice with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman and guest speaker, Dr. Chris Phelps.
1: What makes you so successful with conversions? Because 91% or 91 point, whatever number you said, that's really high. How do you do this? Yeah. So uh, it all goes back
0: to, I have a series of phone language training that I created um, back when I was, I had my two offices, uh, i had sold my two best ones and took over my two worst ones and was trying to dig into their problems on why were they not succeeding as well as I wanted it to. And since I didn't have partners now to support me, it was, it was kind of on me to figure it out. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that's my quick start kicking in. Why would you sell your two best offices and take over your two worst ones? Well, my quick start was like to get it my way. I knew I had to make it safe from a Colby standpoint and risk-free for my partners to let me get out of the system, okay, that I'd almost trapped myself in, right? And I knew that I was okay taking the riskier ones because if I could do it my way, I felt like they had more potential than the four offices together, right? Um, But the problem is I tend to jump and then look to see if there's a place to land. (laughs) So uh, my quick start tends to get me into all kinds of trouble and interesting situations. But typically, because of that, some of my best ideas and innovations come out of that. Um, so that's what I was doing. I was spending 36,000 a month in marketing to get 60 patients, 30 in of one office, 30 of the other. And so I spent a lot of time listening to phone calls to find out why. And I realized that there's five main categories why we're not scheduling. And once I realized the why half the time, it's our team putting up a barrier to right. prevent the patient from scheduling. But the other half of the time it's the patient putting up the barrier. And once I realized that I tried to create some phone training, like reverse engineer it from there. To figure out a solution to see if we could get our conversions up and it's just been perfected over the years so uh the the mindsets haven't changed (laughs) and it's the same language i my scheduling agents use in canada doesn't matter Uh, the same in australia doesn't matter okay it's the same problems so
1: what i'm curious about is the two offices that you mentioned and and i've always known that about you you kind of you're the type of a person who you know most dentists i think concentrate on what's not working and okay. you are the type of person who figures out what works and then you just do more of that and 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 i think that's partly why you were successful but what i'm curious about with those two offices what were the problems that you found um, that made them unsuccessful and how did you fix those problems? Because I think that a lot of dentists can probably relate to what it is that wasn't working.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. In the first office was the office I started in, uh, back in 2003. And, uh, I took it from 600,000 to 1.2 million that first year, but then I really wasn't in there working it. I was working, you know, the offices we were building or repurchasing. Uh, so it really hadn't grown in, Seven years. it have been doing 1.2 million every month, uh, at least not without me. So that's good. So, you know, I grew it and made it independent of me, but well,
1: it hadn't changed. That's and, and, yeah. successful. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, in that situation, it was more of a uh, Colby conflict was the problem. So, my office manager had been our office manager for no other reason than she played survivor and she outlasted everybody else. <laughs> She'd been there the longest. All right? And she worked her way up from an assistant up to the office manager over the years. And Great personality. Uh, she wanted to do a good job for us. She was an extrovert, so there wasn't a conflict there. It wasn't an IQ conflict. She knew how to do the job. She'd been trained. She'd been doing it for, you know, at this point, 10 years. Uh, but what I realized was that uh, all these people that I had got in through my marketing efforts to put opportunities in front of me uh, weren't returning. They weren't coming back. So I was like, well, that's weird. What's up with that? And I couldn't figure out what the problem there was, so I just called them. <laughs> I called my patients, we're like, Hey, it's Phelps. Don't mean to bother you, but I'm just curious. I noticed you ever do. I thought we had a connection. What's going on? And it, you know, just seeing if there was a pattern or trying to uncover something. And, and boy, did I. So what I heard was they said, Hey, we got it. That's your fee for service. We understood we paid in full for everything and you filed our insurance, but you said we get paid. We'd get our money back from the insurance company on what they owed us. And I said, Well, of course you're their client. They owe you that money. And the patient said, yeah, but we never got paid. I was like, what do you mean you never got paid? So I started digging into it, and lo and behold, guess what? They weren't getting paid because there were thousands of insurance claims outstanding because the group number was off by one digit, or the birth date was wrong, or it was like tiny little bits of detail that kicked it out so they wouldn't pay it. And I also realized that it was a systems issue. We didn't have a system to follow up to make sure our patients got paid. Oh, well. So I go to my, you know, the office manager, and I'm like, this is costing us patience, right? And, but I saw her Colby, and her Colby was a 2293. So she fights facts and details. She literally can't see it. Okay? She didn't see that the, the date was wrong. Not that she didn't know how to do it. She, she wanted to do a good job. And, of course, she didn't have a system because she's a two-fall-through. She fights systems. Nice. <laughs> she fights the structure. Uh, but at the same time, that nine and quick start was a powerful because if we sent her in with a patient to close a deal, like close a treatment plan, she was a straight up closer.
1: Right. She would figure out
0: their barrier and figure out a way around it and get the, and get them on the books. So I realized I needed to get her out of the front desk role and put her on a different seat on the bus. And as soon as I moved her to a financial coordinator role and put her on commission and I gave her a chance to double her income every month, guess what? The office immediately went up 50,000 a month in collections. Wow. Okay. One change, boom, 50,000 more a month, 10 out of 12 months. So that, in that office situation, it was getting the right people in the right seat on the bus. Okay. Uh, in the other office, it was more figure out the marketing, stop overspending. And I had to figure out how to influence my patients to say yes better, not just for me, but because of my two associate doctors that were in there. The case acceptance wasn't as good as it should have been. Our team wasn't perceived as authorities in the patient's eyes. We kept hearing, where's that nurse? Where's that lady that cleans my teeth? Right, Mm -hmm. which says the patient doesn't respect your position or your authority with them. Right. Um, And I had to figure out how to get my team to help me implement stuff. So once I figured out how to influence those things, cut money on marketing, but get more new patients in, they had nowhere to go but up.
1: Wow, that's incredible. We uh, just had a conversation on one of the Facebook groups uh, yesterday about the importance of moving Um, the right people into the right seats on the bus. And I think your example with your office manager and her Kobe is, is very powerful because we often have great people in our practices that aren't performing well because they're doing wrong jobs. And, and intuitively uh, we might, realize they're not, you know, well positioned for the job, but we might not realize what, where their strength could be. And I think, you know, doing this exercise with a team is very, very powerful. Um, I want to go back for uh, for a second to something that you just mentioned. You were talking about influence. And of course, I know that, uh, you know, this is this is one of the other things that you've been um, you know, lecturing about and, and, um, and coaching your certified chaldini coach. Um, I want to uh, explain the difference between persuasion and persuasion and how yeah, these relate to dental practices.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's start with persuasion and the difference between persuasion and influence. So in my mind, influence and persuasion are the same thing, uh, but they're completely different than coercion, intimidation, micromanaging your team, like telling them to do stuff, uh, forcing them to do stuff, if you will, kind of like do it or you're fired kind right. of situation. To me, those are very two very separate things. So, uh, you know, when it comes to coercion, intimidation, or your boss telling you to do it, the thing that unites those three things is that people don't feel like they have a choice. Right. I mean, it's not a good choice. It's do it or die, or it's do it or you're fired. Right. But, so they don't really feel like they have a choice in the matter. So what happens is in those situations, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And so if the team is going back to their old bad behaviors when you're not around, you know you haven't influenced them to change. You just told them to change, right? You just forced them then to change, but they're not going to maintain that, okay? Versus when you truly influence and persuade someone by definition, you receive a message somehow. So you read it, you saw it, you heard it, but it's a message that changes your perspective and then your thinking about that idea and because you change the way you thought about it that's why you change your behavior and that's why we see the change of behavior the big difference there is when you're not around they don't go back to the old behavior because they're a new person now they've literally changed their whole thinking about it and as a result they don't go back so that's how I know if you truly influence and persuade someone because they chose it themselves every step of the way so that's really the key choice versus no choice Uh, that's why you can influence people in an ethical way because they're choosing to do it. (laughs) They're changing their own thinking. Now you're helping, (laughs) but they're still doing it, right? Uh, Now, persuasion, if we back it up, is if we know that, whether you realize it or not, there are two main things that we're fighting against when we present any kind of treatment to our patients. And we're fighting, number one, is contrast, which means whatever option you throw at a person, whatever number you throw at them, on the telephone, at the chair, as far as the treatment goes. People are always going to compare and contrast that to something in their life. The danger comes when we let them control what they compare it to. Because usually if we let them control what they compare our options to, guess what? We lose. Right. Right. When we control what they compare it to, we win. Okay. So that's what influence and persuasion is all about. That area. The other thing we're competing with that you may never have thought of is the person's mindset. Okay. Where's their head at when they're talking to you right now? so if a if the, a female patient is getting ready to walk into your office as a new patient uh, and she just had a knockdown drag out fight with her husband in the car right before she walked into your office and you're sitting there having a given a great experience you're going over all the her dental needs, where do you think her mind's at right now? you think she's even half paying attention to what you're telling her or she's still thinking about that fight
1: right no her
0: her mindset is still over there right it's not even with you so speak so we're competing with that as well so. When we let the patients control their mindset, which we do, many of the times it competes against what we're trying to tell them, and we lose. If we control their mindset or reshape that mindset, suddenly we win. So, persuasion is all about changing their mindset, creating a new mindset that fits what we're going to be talking about with their dental treatment that falls in line with it. And by doing that, we're already setting the stage for a yes. They're going to want to say yes to us before they ever get in front of us. So it's just an amplifier of what those principles of persuasion do. So it takes it to a whole new level.
1: Thank you. This is a great explanation. Um, I really like what you said about changing behaviors because one of the things that I see in dentistry is this concept that, you know, when the cat is away, the mice will play. And uh, I, I mean, I literally, I've seen um, a dentist, a uh, dentist. Uh, post a question like, how do I get a, a, you know, keyboard logger so that I know what websites they're logging in when I'm not there. And to me, it's scary to have to, you know, manage employees. I don't believe in managing people, but, you know, to manage an office, to manage people by literally spying on them. That, that's just, that's mind boggling. And yet, um, you know, there's a common theme that employers do not feel safe that their employees will be working when they're not there um, how do we apply the principles of influence to um, empower our team instead of to spy on them?
0: Yeah uh, well I think it's part uh, it's a part Colby problem and it's a part influence problem right so the first filter I look at is are they built to do their job and every task and duty that goes along with when we say do their job because every little task may be requiring a different strength, right? So right, right, I had my team write down all the things they're doing daily and weekly and for the month and make a list. And then I ran a Colby filter. Does this fit their strength or does it not? And then I asked them from a personality standpoint, what do you like doing what do you not like doing out of the things you do? And usually I found a correlation with things they hated doing that didn't match up with their Colby strength. Okay, well, let me at least try to get those things off your plate and onto somebody else. So at least you're more focused and happy. Uh, usually I got more productivity and I had less to worry about, right? Uh, but ultimately to try to get them and influence them to change and, and do stuff for us when we're not around or at least to do the job is uh, you got to get them involved in the process. It <laughs> right. goes back to the, that Colby conflict again. So, you know, while dentists, we just want somebody to give us the plan. For most of our team members that are high and fall through, it's all about their plan.
1: <laughs> and right. if they weren't a
0: part of making that plan, then they will fight the plan right? That's so I cool. had to get my team back involved with helping me create the plan, the process. Even if I bought the plan from somebody else, we still had to modify for our team. And so I found when I got them involved in, in their defining their own job duties and getting with their coping strengths and helping me create their ideal structure, but it still gets the job done, right? Um, that's when I started noticing a change. So I had to get them involved in that process. Once I did that, now you've influenced them because you got them involved. They had a choice in the matter. Uh, suddenly I could be away from the practices and they didn't need me. It was kind of a scary day when forever I was like, why do you need me? Stop <laughs> needing me.
1: And
0: then the day came, right, and I was free and I thought, why don't you need me? <laughs> you should need me. <laughs> it, was, it was a weird feeling. But, uh, it's,
1: it, it is a weird feeling. When I'm away from my practice, I am surprised how – um, rare it is that someone contacts me. Usually, usually it would have to take something really big for me to have to step in and get involved. And but it was you know a long time in the making. It's not something that just happened easily. And um, and what I, what I love is how you just kind of applied Kobe to this to begin with because what you said earlier when we just started talking is that when you do something that you're naturally built for, it's not work. And I think that that's something that tends to happen in um, a lot of practices or you know and just even with homework with kids you know if it's not if it's something that feels really hard that's not coming naturally, we just want to quit we just stop we get distracted we start doing other things, but when we really love what we're doing when we're in the flow, then we just get it done we don't just you know walk away or start um you know um, going on social media and doing other things it's 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 fun it's fun to be doing something that you're built for that you're enjoying and i think that's part of the problem um thank you for sharing that what about patients how do we apply uh the principles of uh persuasion or persuasion in dental situations Um, Give me a few examples. I I mean, I know it's your course, and I know this is something that, in fact, one of my associates went to your course, and he absolutely loved it. He absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, he feels more confident talking to patients, and and I think um, that's critical. Uh, But how do I apply those principles? Give me some examples.
0: Yeah, and that's good to hear, because I think that confidence comes when they finally understand, why do people really say no to us? Right. And now we can have a plan to combat that. And also that I don't have to keep talking, right? I just got to be efficient with my communication and present the information in a way people are going to actually be able to make a real choice. And so it all goes back to that contrast thing. People are always comparing and contrasting what you're telling them to something in their life. Uh, The difference comes when we control that. So I have a great meme that I love that's a picture of, it's like two pictures and there's a line drawn down the middle and the top picture is a, a pair of shoes, red shoes that are and the price is listed as $100 and nobody's buying the shoes. Okay. It's just empty. And in the bottom picture is the same set of shoes. And instead of 100, they're 125. So they're more expensive. But what's above the 125 was a price of 200 that's marked out. Yeah. Okay? And that literally sums up what our challenges is, right? So what everybody's doing is in the top picture. So when a patient comes to your practice and you say, I need a crown, and that's $1,200, Mr. Jones. They're thinking, oh, crap. They're comparing that $1,200 to something in their life. And they're thinking, wow, that's more than my house payment. That's more than my car payment. I can't afford that. And they're thinking this, right? You don't hear it, but that's what they're thinking. And right. instinctively, in five seconds, they have mentally said no to you and shut you down. But you don't know, right? All they do is smile and wave at you and say, oh, I know. I get I need to do it. Well, let me check my schedule. Let me talk to my husband. Let me do anything but say yes to you right now. That's how it comes out. Or we hear the excuse, ah, it's just too expensive, dog, too expensive. And we buy in and we give too much credibility to the excuse, thinking that's really what it was, that why they said no. Well, no, it's because you let them control your comparison.
1: (laughs) Then they judged
0: it to be too expensive because of that comparison. right? So in essence, what I try to do is that the reason that picture on the bottom works is because they were anchored to something else first. Before they saw the 125, they saw 200. Right. And they thought, geez, I definitely couldn't afford a 200. Oh, but look, it's not 200, it's 125. And so they're only comparing 125 now to 200. And in contrast, that sounds a whole lot better, doesn't it? Right. So it's much less, but it, it, now the door is open and they're more receptive to want to say yes. So at least now you got a chance, Okay. Right? So the way I try to do this is when I'm, before I present treatment, I'm always going to anchor them to something else first. And usually it's going to be a money anchor and something that they value something they told me they valued in my new patient form, Um, time, money, pain, visits, whatever that is, longevity.
1: But I'm going to anchor
0: them to something. What I'm anchoring them to is the consequences of what's going to happen if they don't move forward with treatment. And I play it out in my mind like uh, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So let's say two years from now, let's say they need a crown today. Two years from now, they're back in the office and didn't get it done. What do you think probably happened? Has the decay stopped or has it gotten worse? probably gotten worse probably into the nerve like caused an infection now they have pain now they're in the office right so I I know if down the road if they want to get back to where they were today today's tooth state meaning a tooth in their mouth that doesn't come out non pain uh, it's gonna cost them a root canal build up in a crown to get it done right so I'll say hey mrs. Jones here's your I got to justify the treatment here's your x-ray here's your internal camera photo here's what I see uh, this is the decay. Okay. You got two options. Option one is do nothing. Cause remember people got to feel like they have a choice.
1: Right. If they don't feel like
0: they have a choice. They're not really committing to it. So you always got to give at least two options and it's always do nothing. But here's what's going to happen. The decay is going to get bigger. It's going to get to the nerve, probably going to cause an infection, more time off of work, more pain, whatever they told me they value. Right. And if I got to fix it later, that root canal build up, and crown are going to cost you $3,600. I want to anchor them to the money at what it's going to cost. So they're going, holy crap, I can't afford $3,600. Well, that's good because the good news is we're not there yet. Option two is we can do it for a crown, and it's significantly less. Let me go get my team leader in here, and she'll go over that with you. She's awesome at finding a way to fit this in your budget. Okay, here she is now. Peace out. (laughs) (laughs) And then my team leader will come in and say, hey, you know, Dr. Phelps said that root canal built up in crowns, $3,600. But the good news is as you said if we get to it today the crown's only 1200 but it's really not even that after your insurance pays its part meaning we don't mention in network out of network after your insurance pays its part it's only 800 does that work for you and so now how does 800 sound versus 3600 sounds better in contrast wow that's so do-
1: I love the insurance example in particular because I think that most of the time we present, well, here's gonna be, here's your portion after the insurance base, but we don't always present the actual fee. And I think that's a great way to introduce that comparison in there. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
0: Yeah. So I call that the, the price there. So the more we can make our fees seem less and less and less in size, the more likely they are to say yes to it. Okay um and so 3600 no it's really 1200 automatically if you stop there more people will say yes than any other way you're presenting it but if we can go a step further by saying well after your insurance pays its part or after your dental membership plan discount it's this price does that work for you and if it doesn't okay well what if i break it up into two payments i'll do 400 this month and we'll take the other 400 month next month when we deliver it does that work for you oh i could probably do 400 twice okay great and if they can't say no to that I'll break it up into three payments. Let's, I'll take a down payment. I'll take a third today uh, to schedule the appointment. I'll start it next month for another third, and then I'll deliver it the third month for the last third. Does that work for you? So in essence, I got two thirds before, as I'm picking up the handpiece, right? Um, and if, I would say for the majority of people out there, it's not about the money. It's about what they're comparing and contrasting to. The money talk is going to disappear for the majority out there if you follow that sequence.
1: Wow. Incredible. And I know that there's so much more. I mean, I've been to a number of seminars where you've presented, you know, from maybe two hour courses to two day courses. Um, I know you have some, um, um, other fun events with uh, strategic coach and, and, uh, you had, uh, recently you did a Napa trip for couples, which, yep. um, I'd like to know more about, but I know that I've, you know, we've, we've been talking for a while. I don't, I know you, busy. So, um, if someone wanted to learn more about applying, uh, principles of persuasion or persuasion, uh, to their dental practice, where they could, um, see you. Yeah. I mean, they can always uh, email me at, uh,
0: drchrisdmd at gmail.com. Uh, so D-R-C-H-R-I-S-D-M-D. Uh, I've got an event. uh, I'm speaking um, at Nathan Ho's Dental Win-Win event down in April in Dallas. I think it's going to be in Dallas. Uh, Practice on Fire uh, back in Miami this year. So I'll be down there uh, May 18th and 19th, I believe. Uh, So I'm excited about that. That's always a great meeting. Absolutely. Um, And then I've got a ton of private trainings and stuff I'm doing in between.
1: Good to know. What is your topic for the Practice on Fire?
0: Uh, I think I'm going to do it on persuasion um, and some creative ways to create our mindset, like creating a bubble around our practice. So when people walk in, it doesn't matter where their head was before. Now they're with us and they're already more receptive to what we're going to be talking about.
1: I'm excited to hear more about this. Um, I, I, I have one last question and I, you know, I hope it's the last question. I hope it doesn't lead us anywhere else, but you're, <laughs> you're, you are known as the man who uh, zags well. Other zig. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was Mark Twain who once said, when I find myself on the side of the consensus or the majority, I stop and ask why. <laughs> right? Is that necessarily a good thing? And uh, that's why I do that, right? I've, I realize that, that what the masses are doing can, is good, it's protective, But it can also work against us as well. And so just instinctively, I've always just looked to what's going to get me to my goal. I don't really care what anybody else is doing. I'm going to get it done one way or the other. So I've never let what the masses are doing stop me from my ideas of where I thought I was going to go. And typically that made me zig while (laughs) others act. It made me kind of an outlier as far as that goes. But uh, like I said, and I put myself in some fun situations that are not so fun. Uh, (laughs) But crawling out of there... Some of my best ideas and companies got burst, so everything happens for a reason.
1: Very true, Chris, Thank you so much for giving us so much time today and for sharing your ideas you you know one one of the most remarkable things about you is how um, you're always sharing freely with others and 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 I know that part of your commitment is helping other people shorten their learning curve. And, uh, and I really appreciate all of your advice and your friendship over the years and, and uh, everything that I've learned from you. So thank you. And, um, you know, enjoy the, the rest of your week. Have a great weekend. And I will see you soon. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Gina.